James chapter 1. We're going to be reading verses 18 through 25. James is writing and he says, Of his own will he brought us forth by the word of truth, that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. Know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger, for the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness, and receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away at once and forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. So we're going to continue and we'll probably finish up this section of, of verses in James this morning. We've been talking about a sort of mini-theology that, that James is presenting of the active and vital role of the Word of God in the Christian life in these few verses. It begins with what we see in verse 18 with the Word that saves. James says, Of his own will he brought us forth by the Word of truth, that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. So we were brought forth, meaning that we were made to be able to stand before God in righteousness as the first fruits of his labor, through the will of God, by the word of God. And then having been brought forth into God's family by the word, James commands us to be cleansed, to be sanctified. He says, Put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness, in verse 21. This is accomplished by receiving and through receiving with meekness the implanted word, he says. That's the word that saves, is also the word that sanctifies. And we talked about that last time. Putting away of sin is, is powered by receiving the word of God with meekness. So you, you don't stand a chance of killing your own sin if you don't submit and surrender to the will of God as revealed in the Word of God. Amen. You can submit and surrender to a will of something because you've made it up in your mind about some image of who God is or what God wants from you, but if you didn't get it from His Word, you're not submitting to the will of God. Amen. To put it another way, you cannot glorify the king if you disregard his reign and his rule, if you disregard his will and his word. And then finally we come to the word that sustains. I had originally thought to title this message the word that secures. I think I even mentioned that last time, but they're, uh, you know, getting into it, working through it. There are various reasons why I think sustains is better, and we'll, we'll get to those. We see this principle of the word that sustains, I believe, in verses 22 through 25, and that's where I want to spend my time this morning. Before we go back and we read it, I do want to be clear that, you know, just because I said it and just because this is what I'm presenting you doesn't mean that's the only uh, principle to be taken from the text. There are other principles to be taken 
from these groups of verses that we see here. I don't, I don't want to make the mistake of raising you up to be myopic, tunnel-visioned Christians who can't see the forest for the trees. We, we have to keep the big picture in mind. When it comes to Bible interpretation, I have heard it said um, that the Bible text, the biblical text, has one meaning, and there's usually one thing that's being communicated, but there are many implications and applications. So our job then is to discern the meaning of the text. What, is, what does the author mean? What is, he, what is he saying? And then from that, we work to understand how that applies. What are the implications or principles? And then from those implications, what are the applications in our lives? How does this work out and look in our own lives? So over the last few weeks, I've been laser-focused on, on just one or two implications of this group of texts in in James, the things that seemed to jump off the page at me as I read and studied what James wrote. Now, to be honest with you, we could spend weeks on just verse uh, 22 alone, be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. There is so much gospel impact there. There's a whole lot of gospel living packed in that, those few verses or those few words right there. Be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. But we want to approach it in the context that was given to us so that we don't ascribe a different meaning than what the author intended. It's so important to tether our understanding to the biblical truth. Tether our understanding to what the Bible says. Not what I want it to say, not what the culture says it should say, but what does it say? So we want to approach it in the context that it's given. And I am, I'm constrained by what James says before and what he says after, you know, be doers of the word and hearers only. So I don't ascribe a, a different meaning to it than what, than what James is trying to say. And I, to be honest with you, if, if you love the Bible, I think you will find that constraint comforting. It will be a, a pleasant, like a warm blanket for you. It's good to have a box to play in. That's why children are so, you know, we look at the generation coming up underneath us and the, the generation beneath that and the generation beneath that. And you can look at it in school, you know, the, the sixth graders come at seventh grade, well, that's the worst sixth grade they've ever had. And then the fifth grade comes, that's the worst fifth grade they've ever had. And then the next year, the fourth grade, that's the worst fourth grade. It just, and it just happens every, every year. And the reason is we, we're, not, we're not tethering our children <laughs> We don't give them boxes to play in. Children may complain about the box, but it's good for them to have boundaries. It is good. And it is good for us to have boundaries. That's why the Bible was given. The Lord said, I want you to know who I am, and I don't want you to just make somebody up. I'm going to tell you, here's my picture. Here's your boundaries. Here's your box. It's good to have a box to play in, so that, so that when we zoom in to just a little piece of it, like what we've been doing, you know, uh, the last few weeks, just a few verses, you know, I, and I zoom into it, and I, and I have to, to preach a little piece of it, I start to build understanding, and, and, uh, and, and we, we build the understanding, and we know that there's a box to build in, so we have to fit our understanding, whatever we build has to fit inside that, that box, and it gives me comfort because, you know, we're working through James. And, and so I've had to, when I do that, I have to, you got to read the whole book. You got to read all of James. And I do it two or three times to be, to be exact. And so I get a, an understanding of the box I have to play in so that when we zoom in, 
I, I know my boundaries, and I find that comfortable. And uh, when we zoom in like that, we ought to be able to fit what our understanding is into the box. I don't, I don't know who needs to hear that this morning. I felt like I needed to say that um, because it's so very important when it comes to preaching and studying the Word of God that we be tethered to the Word of God, not just to the words on the page, but to the context of what is the author saying. There are so many people out there who will lift passages here and there, and then they twist them to say something that the Bible never actually said. And, and the problem is that people just eat that mess up. They just eat it like candy, like, I don't know, Lay's potato chips. If you don't like Lay's, Doritos. Doritos, that's a better one. Doritos, nacho cheese, they just eat them like nacho cheese Doritos. And the reason they do that, they eat that, that false teaching so with such vigor is because what Paul said, they have itching ears. And so they heap to themselves teachers who will, who will tickle their ears. It sounds good to their flesh. And they're able to do that and digest it because they haven't spent any time in the Word of God. They don't have a basis to be able to determine, is this true or isn't it true? They just, whatever word the preacher says, they just take it for the truth. They're not good, good Bereans. They don't go home and study the Word to show themselves approved. A preacher can tell them a heresy like all roads lead to heaven, and they'll believe it, and the preacher can base that on something like John 3.16 that says God so loved the whole world that everybody would be saved. So all roads lead to heaven. And they'll just eat that mess up. It's a heresy. It's not true. Is it true that God loved the whole world? You bet it. But do all roads lead to heaven? No. Jesus said, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. So we have a box to play in. It's right to say God loved the whole world. It's not right to say all roads lead to heaven. The box is Christ. Amen. We have bound and boundaries are comforting, and I love the boundaries. So you know, we preachers are able to do that, and and it, and they they just take such liberties with the text. It just amazes me the the idea that the Bible affords us such great liberty as Christians, and yet it constrains us as Christians. We have such great freedom in Christ, and yet we are constrained. You know, Paul probably understood this better than anybody in his time. He understood Christian liberty, and he probably lived it and practiced it better than anybody of his time, and yet Paul said that he was a prisoner and a slave of Christ. Free, yet constrained. And all of that is to say that, that we want to work within the constraints of the Word. And when we do, we will find greater liberty in Christ. So be careful who you're listening to. So because of what verse 22 says, be doers of the word, I want you to pay attention to what James says that we are to do. Let's go back to verse, verse 21 as it relates to the word. What are we to do with the word of God? In verse 21, James says, Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness, and receive with meekness the implanted word. Now let's, let's stop there. James tells us what we are to do with the word. And what does he say? He says to receive the word, fundamentally. Receive the word. Just strip out everything else, take out all the modifiers, get right down to the basic grammar of what he's saying. He says receive the word. 
And then when we add the modifiers back in, we can start to build a deeper understanding of what, what does it mean to receive the, How do we receive the word? What word are we supposed to receive? To what end are we supposed to receive this word? What is the effect of receiving this word in the way that we're supposed to receive it? So we know that the very base of what James is saying is to receive the word. But then he, he follows that up immediately in verse 22 with, but be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. So receive the word, but don't just receive it, do the word. Because if you just receive it and don't do it, you're deceiving yourselves. If you think you are righteous because you have heard the word, but you aren't doing the word, you are deceived. So let's back up a little bit again. I want to lay this out so that you see the progression of it. Um, before I continue, so that hopefully it'll make, it'll make sense. Verse 18, you are brought forth by the Word. That's justification. You're made right to stand before God. The Word was preached. You received and believed, and you're brought forth, right? Now verse 21 says, put away filthiness and wickedness. We talked last time about, about that uh, being put away or putting away as a participle, it's a participle for the command to receive with meekness. In other words, receiving the Word of God with meekness is effective in the putting away of filthiness and wickedness. The tricky part is the meekness. Amen. The tricky part for the human heart is the meekness. We must receive the Word by submitting to it in meekness and humility. That's what meekness means. Meekness and humble, submitting to the authority and the rule of, of the Word of God in our lives. Doing that, surrendering to the Word, acknowledging its authority and its power in our lives against filthiness and wickedness. Or we could just say that it, we acknowledge its power against sin. and We submit to its power against sin. So the word was preached, you heard and believed. Now surrender to the authority of the word by putting away sin. And finally we come to it, do the word for the preservation or sustaining of your soul. Church, what good is it to us if we have a, a great experience, and many people do, they'll have an emotional release, they'll come and they'll hear the word preached, and they find that there's a way out. There's absolution for their sin. You don't have to be guilty anymore. And they have this great emotional release because they, they see a glimpse of the risen Christ. But they don't stay to the end. They don't endure to the end. You know, there's two times, twice in Matthew's gospel, that Jesus has recorded this saying that the one who endures to the end will be saved. This is directly reflective of the parable of the soils. I know we've referenced that a few times going through this. The seed that fell among the rocks, y'all remember that? This is the one who heard the word and received the word with joy, and it sprang up with life within them. But because there was no root, because of the rocks and the stones, that when the trials and tribulations came, he fell away. Amen. So what good was his receiving? What ultimate good did it do him to hear and receive the word if he just fell away? It's also like the seed that fell among the thorns. That's the one that, that hears the word, but because of the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches, the word is 
unfruitful. It bears no fruit. So in a kingdom where Jesus says that every branch that does not bear fruit will be cut off and cast into the fire, what good does it do to remain unfruitful? To receive the word, but not do anything with it. To hear, but not do. They deceive themselves. Look at what James says in verse 23. It says, for, you know what happens there. (laughs) We know that James is continuing argument. In this case, he's referring back to what it is to be deceived. For the person, the hearer who does not who does not do but hears only, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror for he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. So this is what it's like to deceive yourself. To be a hearer and not a doer, you're deceiving yourself. This is what it's like to deceive yourself. This is what it's like to go to church on occasion or maybe even every Sunday and sit and listen and hear, but make no real application to your life. To make no real connection between the commandments of Scripture and the preaching of the Word and your day-to-day living. We can agree all day long about the truth of what I'm... Yeah, that's true, that's right. But until it becomes life in me, until my life is ordered around it, it has done me no good. James says you're like a person who studies his natural face in a mirror. Y'all, you know those makeup mirrors that they have that magnify? You're, I hate those. Some, some hotels have them, right? And you see that, I'm like, whoa. <laughs> that is worse than what I thought it was. And you ladies look at them all the time. I can't imagine. No wonder you need such lifting up. And positive affirmation. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> you, on Mother's Day. This is the picture that, that James is painting, though. You, you look in this mirror and you see like, oh. I mean, you might notice blemishes. You know, spots and wrinkles. You might notice hair out of place or extra hair where it's not supposed to be or whatever. But don't we all have a much better image of ourselves that we go away with? I mean, don't we? I mean, we leave that mirror and we turn and walk and it's like, I, it wasn't, it's not as bad as what it looked. I look cute today. I look good. Isn't that what he says? Like a man who looks at his face in a mirror, who studies, intently studies his face in a mirror, and goes away and forgets what he looked like. James contrasts that person with someone else, though. Someone who isn't deceived. Look at verse 25. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty... And perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. So now you 
you might back up and you might say, hey, Pastor Jeff, it looks like the difference here is that one person hears and does and one person hears and doesn't. One hears and does the word, one hears and does not do the word. Why are you talking about being deceived? It looks pretty straightforward to me that James isn't contrasting someone who is deceived versus someone who is not deceived. He's contrasting hearers and doers. Well, that is one of the main contrasts that he makes. That is one of the points that he's drawing out. But hearers and doers, to what end? What is the point? What good does it do you to be a doer of the word? And I believe that what James is driving at isn't that we must do good works to be saved. That would contradict the rest of the gospel. Remember, we have a box to play in. James isn't saying that we must do good works to be saved. Let me draw your attention one more time back up to verse 18 where we began with how we were brought forth by the will of God and the word of truth. You didn't come in there anywhere. You came in 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 a very passive sense in that you were brought forth. You become the actor in steps two and three, sanctification and and, uh, sustaining. We have to participate in our sanctification and our preservation. So I think James, he's not talking about being uh, doing good works to be saved. And that, in fact, that's been one of the main uh, criticisms of the book of James. One of the main struggles that, that I have when working through it to try to preach it is to not come across as giving you a works-based salvation. And that's a big criticism. Well, James preaches a works-based salvation, except that he doesn't. Well, James preaches works, and that disagrees with Paul's preaching of grace, except that it doesn't. Look carefully at what he says. And let me just say this while we, while we walk through this. If you're going to base your life on the teachings of a book, it might do you some good to study it carefully. Amen. Make sure you get what it's saying. Piper said, uh, when we were at the conference, he said something that just really stuck with me. He said, you, you miss the glory because you miss the grammar. <laughs> I thought, man, that is so true. I just didn't know how to say it, but that, that's exactly what I feel like when I study the, how did I miss that? Because I missed the argument. I missed the grammar. Amen. You miss the glory because you miss the grammar. Verse 22 be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. So what is the result of being a hearer only? You are deceived, right? I don't, I don't think James is saying do in order to be saved. He's saying do so that you won't be deceived. Amen. Do so that you won't fall away. Do so that you will persevere. Do so that you will be sustained. I don't think the point is so much about works as it is, as it is about authenticity and reality. The reality of faith, the authenticity of faith. Notice that there are two people James describes, right? The one who only hears, the one who hears and does. And what are they both doing? Well, they both hear, but he, he, he paints that in a, with another picture. They're looking. One who looks into a mirror and one who looks into the perfect law. 
right? They're both looking at something. This means that they're both considering. They're both scrutinizing. They're both judging something or judging by something. One is scrutinizing by means of the flesh and judging by means of the flesh and according to the flesh. He says he looks intently at a, a natural mirror in his, at his face in a natural mirror, his own face in a natural mirror. That's the flesh, observing the flesh, scrutinizing the flesh according to the flesh, making judgments according to the flesh. I don't have to tell you how many problems that leads to. But I probably should. If you judge wickedness, which we all are, there is none righteous, no, not one. If we judge wickedness by wicked standards, you just produce more wickedness. This is precisely why the abortion debate is such a hot-button issue today. Even to my uh, great dismay and great sadness, even among people who call themselves evangelical Christians, it has been shocking to me the number of of Christians who have come out in support of abortion freedoms, who have come out in support of saying, no, we want you to be able to murder an innocent life within you. This is because they are looking in a natural mirror with eyes of the flesh and making judgments in the flesh. If you judge wickedness by wicked standards, you will only produce more wickedness. Is the truth hard? You bet it is. But Jesus said at the same time, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. There is such freedom in the scripture and yet we are constrained. And that is good for us. If, If these people would look into the perfect law of liberty, which is the word of God, they would see the wickedness of the whole thing and just be disgusted by it. Let me show you very briefly what what Paul has to say about the natural flesh and judging in the flesh. I'm just going to burn through some scriptures. Don't worry about turning to them. Romans 7, 18, For I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. Romans 8, 5, For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on things of the Spirit. So if you're, if you're looking in a natural mirror with natural eyes at your natural face, what are you going to do? You're going to set your mind on things of the flesh, natural things. But if you look into the perfect law of liberty, the law of God, the Spirit, the Word of God, you're going to set your mind on things of the Spirit. Romans 8, 13, For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if you live by the Spirit, You'll put to death the deeds of the body. You will live. So you have that that one person that James is talking about, the one who only hears but does not do. He is utterly deceived. He may be surrounded by something that sounds like preaching, and I'm going to say it sounds like preaching, because if it were real preaching, there would be conviction in the heart, and, and he would hopefully, according to the Word of God, 
Preaching would cause him to truly believe and do. So it sounds like preaching. There's so much of that out there. It sounds like Christian music. I'm going to use quotation fingers around that. Much of what you hear on the radio isn't Christian. It's self-worship. So on and so forth. So you're surrounded by those things, but you're utterly deceived because you continue to judge in the flesh, not crucify the flesh, not deny the flesh, not do the word. But the other one, the one who looks into the perfect law of liberty, the word of God, he is not deceived. He's gazing into the truth, the word of God. And that acts as a mirror to show us the truth. So that magnifying glass, we can't get away from it. It's right there. James 1.25, verse 25, he says, But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. Remember, if you, you miss the grammar, you'll miss the glory. So, if you wonder why I get hung up sometimes on syntax and structure, it's because I don't want to miss the glory. And I don't want you to miss it either. If you just read this without any real thought to what's going on in the text, you'll miss it. The only imperative, the only actual command in these three verses, verses 22 through 25, grammatically speaking, the only thing that he says, do this, is where he says, do the word. He says, be doers. Right? Be, that's the command. Be what? Be doers. And the rest of it is just telling us what that means. What does it mean to be a doer? To be a doer of the word. Verse 25 tells us that doers persevere. And this is where we come to it. And I hope that you see it. That the word sustains. Those who keep their eyes on the word surrendered to it, putting it to work in their lives, will persevere. They will endure to the end. James says they are blessed in their doing. Now, I, I believe that what he means by this blessedness is the sustaining work of the Word at work in our lives. Amen. Amen. Our receiving, submitting to, and doing the Word of God as evidence of faith that is alive in us Faith that, was, uh, that we were brought forth by the Word of God. And in chapter 2, James makes a very famous statement, and everyone knows this statement that James made in uh, verse 17 of chapter 2. He says, So also, faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. Now there's, there's, there's nuance there in chapter 2 when James is talking about faith and works, and, and we're going to have to deal with that nuance when we get there. And I, I, do, I pray the Lord give me grace and wisdom and clarity to handle it rightly. But, but for now, through James's own lens in chapter 1, faith without works is dead is the same thing as the hearer who does not. He is dead. The hearer who only hears and does not do, he is dead. He is deceived. He's led astray, which is quite the opposite of being sustained. Amen. Amen. We might rephrase what James said in verse 25 to go something like this. The one who hears the word of God is sustained in doing the word of God. 
So you want to endure to the end. Like Jesus said, the one who endures to the end will be saved. Let the joy of your salvation in Christ explode within you and overflow out of you in the righteousness of good works, putting the glory of God on display. Isn't that what Jesus said? Let your works, good works shine before others that they may see them and give glory to God. So that others will see your good works. And then they themselves will be called forth out of the will of God, by the word of truth, through the witness of your righteous works, and see if you're not sustained in doing it. It gives strength to the soul to be obedient to the word. It gives strength in the time of adversity to be obedient to the word. The word sustains. And I'll let you go with that. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you. I thank you for your word. We say that every time we gather because it is good, it is righteous. It has given us a path to, to righteousness. Father, I pray that you help us see it. Not only that, help us to live it. Help us to receive it and put it to work. Help us to hear it and do it and be sustained in it. Father, we thank you once again for this time together. And I ask that you, you protect us and keep us safe as we go our separate ways. Lord, let our mothers have a, a blessed day. Let them just feel loved all the way around and appreciated all the way around. And for those who are without, Lord, I pray that you, you give them the peace that is only found in Christ, that you comfort them as only you can. Father, take us away from here safely and bring us back at the appointed time. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. And amen.